Welcome to the Mix in the Six podcast. I'm your host, Gina Marie, and thank you for tuning in to hear stories from the Mix community in Toronto and beyond. This podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples covered by Treaty 13. This space is all about sharing our stories, building community, and learning from one another and having fun. We hope that you enjoy this episode. I am here with Aria Evans, dancer, choreographer, facilitator, and founder of Political Movement. I'm so happy that you're here. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here in this virtual world. I, know. <laughs> I am going to hand it over to you to introduce yourself a little bit more because I know you are someone who does so much amazing work. So yeah, I'm an interdisciplinary artist. I always say that I'm a mover and a maker. I think because when we talk about dance, we get one specific idea of what that is. So when I say I'm a mover, it allows for all of the other ways that movement can be interpreted. I like making dance. I am a performer. I'm also a filmmaker and photographer. I more recently have been doing switches new and exciting. I think as a dancer, it can be hard to talk about what you do sometimes because it's so embodied and finding the language of what I do has been evolving. So that feels great. I identify as being queer. I use any pronouns, she, they, and he. And I also fundamentally think that my biggest identifier is being a lover. I'm somebody who approaches everything that I do with that idea that I want to fall in love with it, with the excitement and newness that love can offer. There's a curiosity that is like central to who I am. And I think, yeah, we'll probably talk more about who I am and what I do as we go on. So I'll leave it there for this moment. Yeah, that was such an amazing introduction. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I just a couple things like that really stood out for me is that you like being a mover so that it allows that like full embodiment of dance more than just like steps and choreography, but like just the body as art form. I know I want to talk more about that during the interview, but also I love Lover because that like drives us. <laughs> Falling in love with what you do is so important. Yeah. And the people that you do it with as well. So you can tell us a little bit more. What is your mix? Yeah. It's interesting. Like my mix identity, I think has fueled why I make work and the ways in which I approach my creative process. So my mom, has a British settler with like a mix of some Welsh and some other settler identities in there. And my father is Mi'kmaq, which is the indigenous nation to Nova Scotia. And he's also African Canadian. And his track into this land came from the Underground Railroad. It feels like a dated joke, but I used to maybe like five years ago always say I am like the product of colonization, which (laughs) I think now I'm thinking more about how my identities allow me to be a bridge into these conversations that we're having about the colonial world, about access, about diversity in a way that, again, has completely filtered into my work. 
I never felt like I could relate to any of the stories that people were asking me to tell. And I never could see people that looked like me on stage. So from a young age, I had a really big drive and a really big desire to create those spaces for me and for others around me. And you did. Yeah, I'm doing it. (laughs) Amazing. What I want to talk to you about is your art and how it all got started. So thank you for getting right in there. I do want to mention one thing to start off with is this how we connected. So you and I connected on social media. I saw that you were facilitating a discussion for mixed uh, race folks in collaboration with Cahoots Theater. You can tell us maybe a little bit more about what they do. And that was during like the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about how you got involved and what your experience was like of the participants who attended. I wasn't able to attend because I had something else going, but I was like shared it everywhere. And I just thought it was such an important offering. Yeah. Thank you for sharing it. It it was really amazing just to be inside of a space where there were so many folks who identify as being mixed and who are artists and like how rare it is for us to have those kinds of conversations inside of an artistic community that exists in Toronto. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I think because my work is centered around identity politics and because of my mixed background and because of that, the people that I choose to work with also can relate to these sort of fractured identities or the sense of not belonging that I've started to create a little bit of energy around myself and around my company political movement and how I speak about politics and current affairs and global issues. When events are happening in that sort of realm, the community reaches out to me to be a part of those conversations and cahoots. It was incredible to be asked to co-facilitate. Eva Berry was asked by the autistic director of Cahoots to run the panel discussion, just like holding space for people to come together. And she didn't want to do it alone. So she reached out to me and we did it together. And so many people signed up that we had to split it into two groups. And we each took a room, a Zoom breakout room of like (laughs) 50 artists to just talk about the moment and the moment in relationship to being mixed. And I think like the biggest thing that I took away from that conversation was how everyone's experience is different. And especially inside of being mixed race, there are so many ways that identity is complicated inside of conversations about Black Lives Matter and about where we fit in. I think about those of us who have settler identity inside of our mix. I think about those of us who don't have settler identity inside of our mix. I think of those of us who are white passing and those of us who are not and how there's so much nuance inside of how we are inside and how we present to the world. And it just touched me to be able to hold space and to just be able to talk about that amongst peers. And I think that Mix in the Six is so incredible for that reason. And it's one of the things that when you first reached out to me, like made my heart melt a little bit because it's such a unique place to sit in the world between identities. And what I said earlier about being able to be the bridge, I do think that that is something that is beautiful. And I don't want to say like productive, but like gives back or like generates a forward momentum through our lived experiences as folks who hold multiple identities in one body. Yeah. I've also read in other groups or accounts that's like it can be a blessing in a way of being mixed is being able to be that bridge between worlds and be a part of change and having helping people understand the different perspectives and nuances of different cultures. Yeah, it can also be exhausting 
Like, yeah. do, you, do you ever get tired? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I find myself depending on what room I'm in, I'm like, okay, is it time to put on my educator hat and let, is it in certain spaces because of the way that I present, I can, a message that I'm getting across can land that it has the potential to land with that, with someone who maybe not, might not listen to someone else who's in a different body, which is yeah, going to blessing, but also it can be a very heavy responsibility. I agree. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that work and being that bridge. And I, I didn't attend that discussion group, but I heard feedback from people who did. And I saw some quotes saying like this is so important. And I didn't know that this these conversations could be had. And just, I know we just met really in the summer, but I, just know. I understand, you know, you have an ability to really hear and reflect and hold that space that is safe and sacred. So just wanted to mm-hmm. shout out to you, shout out to everyone <laughs> who went to that discussion group, because that's being a part of change. And also Cahoots Theater, just because we mentioned them, if you don't mind maybe just kind of sharing a little bit about what they do and what they offer. Yeah, I would say like go check out their website (laughs) and like really look at the work that they're doing. They're one of the predominantly black run theater companies that exists in Toronto, that exists in Canada. And they're doing really important. I would even say like still radical. Like it's funny how that word seems to have gotten tainted to be like radical. But I think the way that they are radical is also coming from a place of compassion. And that's a really unique way to be a part of a community, a theater community. But yeah, check them out. (laughs) Well, coming back to your life's work and wanting to get my life's work. I think that's so funny. I'm like, I'm 30. What? (laughs) (laughs) Your living work. (laughs) You were mentioning that creating spaces for yourself and creating art that was really for you, that was representative of you is something that's important. So I want to kind of go back to the beginning is what, you know, what inspired you to get into dance and why did you choose it as your art form? Yeah. As a young kid, I had a lot of energy and my mom was a single mom and I think she needed a place for me to be and to express and to learn. And she put me in a lot of different activities, but dance was always the one that I resonated with the most. And sometimes I feel really bad for having picked dance because it's probably the most expensive hobby. Mom was like, yeah, expensive. You're playing soccer. All you need is shoes. I mean, and because it is so expensive, I teach or like be an assistant teacher or I would clean the studios in exchange for classes. And I had a lot of really incredible teachers who gave me a lot of scholarships along the way. And I think if that generosity hadn't been extended to me, it wouldn't have been possible. And I think about like all of the people that have contributed to me being here and like the list is so huge. So if you're listening, thank you. Mentors of the past and future and present. But yeah, dance was something that just resonated with me. I was never a big speaker. I feel like I had a lot to say and share, but I never knew how. And dance was how I expressed myself. I think about body language and how for me, that is the first language that we are dancing before we're speaking and something that continued with me through my life that my first way of releasing something or sharing something or understanding something always comes from the body. And at like 11, I started choreographing my own dances and entering them in local competitions. And I don't know where this confidence came from. Like, I don't know who taught me to believe in myself, but maybe it was my mom. Thank you, Laura Evans, for teaching me to love and believe in myself. But yeah, I just had a really like abundant confidence that propelled me to keep making my own work, to 
keep speaking from my own voice. And as I got older, I went to university and got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Dance. And I always knew that I wanted to make. I always knew that I wanted to lead. And that was just like a really clear path. It was never secondary to performance. I really think that like those of us who are nurturing and who can listen and who can cultivate and carve spaces in ways that feel like they nurture the artists that are involved and give back to a community that like if that's a skill that you have you should do it and again like I'm 31 and I feel like I still have this abundant confidence but I really do think that that is where I excel that carving spaces for other like black indigenous people of color to share our stories to talk about our experiences of the world to process but also think about how when we share an audience is invited to share as well and like dance can change the world inside of generating questions or generating conversation or showing that it's okay to release yourself into something that is vulnerable so that I kind of like rolled my way yeah just like loving what I do and loving the people that I work with and not being afraid to make work that is socially and politically engaged that is about identity politics I don't know there's some quote from some artists that like art is meant to reflect the time that we're in and I also think about like art is meant to reflect the people that are in the work so beautiful it's interesting because it, it something I wanted to bring up is that I think maybe people have some of their own like ideas of uh, or like narrow vision of what dance is like dance is like it's maybe choreography or it's for entertainment and just for fun. But some would say, as, and also what you've articulated and what you just said is that like dance is also a way to really like share stories. It can be cathartic. It can be therapeutic. It can be spiritual. And I'm, I'm just wondering, like, was there a moment when you discovered that dance like could really make an impact hmm. beyond being in classes and teaching and things like that? You no, know, I recently had a conversation with my mom. We are at like that interesting stage where you meet each other again as adults uh, and you're like past that like awkward teenage, like young adult pushing away place. Yeah. And I was asking her about what I was like as a young performer or did I because some people tell me that I'm like a ham that I really love being in front of others in some way and inside of maybe overly confident or like I don't know whatever expressed boisterous without being boisterous like but she was saying that I could always feel people's response to watching me perform, that there was something about like being so open and vulnerable and like expressing joy or expressing something inside that I was always aware that the effect that that had on the people watching and that like transcendence of energy um, was something I always knew. And I think about that now because I hadn't ever thought about that before. But there is something about like being amongst a big group of people and feeling that the tension in a room or feeling the release of like everyone exhaling and like our bodies can create so many dynamics of release of holding I think it is visceral like I really do think that dance allows us to understand ourselves better and I think it's risky like it's not an easy thing to do to like walk in front of a bunch of people and to like 
like bare yourself to them. And I think about the world that we're in and how I think taking risks is our biggest gift. Like that is where the most possibility, the most potential comes out of risk taking and how through my practice, I like that idea of showing risk taking Mm -hmm. in order to make it more accessible or to feel safer or to feel easier for those of us who are maybe more closed off. I forget what your initial question was, to be honest, though. (laughs) I just rambled somewhere. No, no, that was, I was like, so like immersed in everything you're saying. I'm like, right. No, no. Because I'm not a trained dancer. I was just just with being an audience member, seeing someone dance. I hear what you're saying. It's like you, the body is so powerful. And when you see someone moving in a way that's connecting with either like a real, a story and emotion, like it kind of takes my breath away. Like, I think, you know, like you can really connect on a level that's so beyond words. <laughs> yeah, we hold everything in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Like we hold all of our experiences. We hold yeah. all of our memories, all of yes. the people that we've met. And I think about, again, what it means to take all of that and to open it up. I think about my British side of my family that's like really stiff and really proper and mm-hmm. things are really like we don't approach conversations that are hard to have or could offend someone. And I think about how the society and the world that I want to be a part of is like shedding all of those things. Like how do we release those ideas of what is right and what is wrong to be more open and vulnerable? Like how beautiful would the world be if everyone came to a conversation like shedding ego completely vulnerable and open and like willing to see where they end up? Like I think that's the opposite of where hate comes from. So dance, I think, is like a gateway into that world. I love because I feel like that's not a description of dance that you would be somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that, like... <laughs> yes, it's so powerful. And I was just going to say, too, I mean, just to add my little piece Please. on, like, again, not a trained dancer, but whenever I've been able to move my body and just like shake off sadness or tension or trauma, powerful. I think, like, I actually used to be like, I could never do choreography because it's hard, but movement, like, just any kind of movement really is like so yeah. it'd be really powerful and cathartic and therapeutic so I'm glad that you kind of shed light on that it's also just so much more than that there's so many things that can be shared through dance and through performance which I'm also curious you mentioned sort of like your side of your family yeah. <laughs> the British side is a little bit more stiff and proper maybe also your British side how about yeah. your Afro-Indigenous side like where does that ever come into your dance your choreography your expression uh, how has the different parts of your being influenced um, your dance? It's so interesting. A friend, we were talking about identity and we were talking about my Afro-Indigenous roots and how I always, like I always acknowledge all of the sides of myself inside of Black spaces, inside of Indigenous spaces, because I never want to like take up space that I, that could be given to somebody else who could use that in a way that I don't need to. Like I'm always really aware of being mixed in those situations, but she was just like, Aria, like your ancestors are all over you. Like you can't escape your Afro-Indigenous roots. Like they're pouring out of your cells. Like they're seeping out of your pores.
doors. And I think about that because the body that I exist in, like when we were talking about being white passing or being not white passing, like I'm very much not white passing. I don't have a white body. And like, I think about that even inside of my dance career, like always being told you're, you don't have the right body. You're too curvy. Like all of these things that we get told as dancers in the world. And that's another thing that I'm trying to like break down inside of the work that I make is that any body can be a dancing body mm-hmm. and the expectations that we have of what is appealing to watch needs to be like completely derailed because it's so beautiful to see different colors and different bodies dancing together in space. Again, I think about like how the world outside gets reflected on stage, but, but yeah, I think that like my Afro-Indigenous roots comes out in my dance. I think that like my breasts, my curves, my hips, I can feel those ancestors activated when I move. I always like people always tell me that I move like water and I love circles and arcs and shapes that never have an ending. And I think again about this like linear corporate capitalist world and then this like circular water-based body. And even when I just think about worldview, this like circular water-based body feels connected to my Afro-Indigenous side. Yeah, I think the minute that I start to dance, my ancestors say hello and <laughs> yeah, that's just inescapable. And I'm like so grateful to be able to carry them with me. You're like the coolest person. <laughs> I just, like, I'm great. I'm so glad you think so. My like young yeah. teenage misfit is like <laughs> so happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so dorking out. I just like so beautiful because it's like you think, you know, potentially that question is like, oh, you know, I've taken Afro-Indigenous. We think yeah. so many different types of dance, but it's so profound that your ancestors are inside of you and they're coming mm. through you through your art and just makes that it's just next level. I just, <laughs> yeah, I just think we're next level. <laughs> Speaking of next level, (laughs) how did political movements start? So I started this company in 2015, but it had a different name. I basically, when I got my first grant, it took me years to get funding. I was looking through old documents recently and I found like a rejection letter from 2013, which was the year after I graduated university that was like, you didn't get this grant. And I was like, I remember being really sad about that. I am still sad when I get rejection letters. (laughs) It happens all the time. It took me a really long time to get funding. 2015 was the first year that I received government funding to create a dance work. And that was with the Summer Works Festival. And they, inside of their application process, needed a company name. And I, at the time, I chose the go-to company to be the company name. It was another like childhood dream where I was going to have a cafe called the Go-To Cafe. And I would sell coffee, rice, soy sauce, and croissants. That was like all that was going to be on the menu. So when I needed a company name, I was like, I'm going to give an homage to the younger version of me who wanted to run this business that's now like taking a new form. But over the years, I realized that having a company name that gave a little bit of information about what you are making in the title would be helpful for people to understand. I think I changed the name in 2018. So I lived longer in the go-to company than I have in political movement. But political movement just felt like what I was doing and it was 
was cheeky and I was secretly thinking about like merch for shows. I was like, how can I make more money as an artist? Like someone help me. And I was like, I would buy like a shirt that said political movement on it. And again, like my work is political, is socially and politically engaged. It's what identity politics. It's sometimes about global issues. And I think what is political can change. Sometimes I make work that is about queer love. And to me, like that is political in a different way or even making a work about intimacy, like touch that isn't sexualized is also a version of how we can be political. So I think in the name political movement, because it again, it's dance, but it's also movement and the play on words of like political movement. Yeah. It just felt like the right name. And I'm so glad I changed the company name. I was afraid of doing it. I was like, people are going to like be confused or not know, but I'm like proud to carry that idea of my work alongside what I'm making into the future. Beautiful. And political movement makes contemporary dance theater from a social political lens. Just wanted to make sure I put Yes. That. Is this my Instagram bio? Yeah, it totally is. Amazing. <laughs> Follow my Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> at political movement. Perfect. Everybody follow at political <laughs> Really beautiful images too, by the way, at, as you. well as this description of what you do. You kind of alluded to it earlier about like how the power of dance. I'm just curious, like, why do you think dance is so powerful in creating change in a social and political way? I think about how bodies get policed and I think about how certain bodies feel silenced and how certain people feel like they can't speak or they can't take up space. And there's something again about this idea of movement, bodies that are connected to land that can be detached from language that feels really meaningful. I think, and I think too, like my work is also about the collaborators that I bring in. And I love having really hard conversations in a room while work is getting made. And I think about how micro expands to macro and how if we're working a certain way in a room, if we're having certain conversations, that those artists go home and talk to the people that they're with about those same ideas. And those people then talk about those same ideas to the people that they know, or even inside of presenting a show and it being about a certain kind of subject matter and like doing a pre-show talk, doing a post-show talk, just having things and ideas emerge that allow an audience to question. Like I really do think that my work attempts to question. I never try to come up with an answer or a solution inside of what I make. It's always about asking something and proposing how different people ask about the same ideas. And so my hope is that, again, the artists collaborating expand the work, but also the audience witnessing the work go home and expand those same questions and conversations into their homes, into their workspaces, into the other people at large that like those small actions actually really huge steps. Beautiful. Thank you. And speaking of hard conversations... And asking questions and expanding the reach of a message and looking deeper into what's going on socially. You've not only created shows and performances that are beautiful and moving, but also been a part of organizing performative protests. So I was wanting to know, you tell me more about how political movement has been involved in performative protests and what you've accomplished or continue to accomplish in those spaces. I think it was maybe a year ago that I started asking, I had taken on the name political movement and I had been making work for 
a year under that new name. And I started asking myself, what am I doing beyond my creative practice, beyond putting things on stages, beyond being in a dance studio, sort of oscillating inside of that one small community? Because I do think the contemporary dance community is small and the audiences for contemporary dance are also small. And I was thinking about like, how does my work give back to the ideas that it's working through on a larger scale? So when the Wet'suwet'en March happened, the next day I got on a plane to perform a solo that was about the destruction of our natural resources. It was about oil and land and the indigenous woman's body. And I was sitting there and I was, what am I doing? Like, what can I do? And I was like, oh, art is another way to look at like hard subjects, hard conversations and to make it beautiful or to make it interesting or to draw people in. And that was the first performative protest that I did. And it happened. I was just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to like email all the people that I know and whoever comes and we'll create a structure and it'll be what it is. But it felt like something that I could contribute to a protest that would allow the people around to think about what they were marching for in a different way. I remember being in the performance at that march and this father and son knelt down and the son was like, dad, like, what are they doing? Because we were like rolling on paper with like blood on our hands and these oil cans and these like water bottle strands like wrapped around our body. And just like hearing from afar the way this father was describing what we were doing to his son, I was just like, what an incredible way to have these conversations through a really visually stimulating experience. So I want to do more of that when it's not COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's actually like a really valuable way that I want to contribute to, again, these like the things that I believe in that I make work about, but beyond just the performance that I put on a stage. Like I want to be giving back in a way that's more authentic than performances. Yeah, like making beautiful things. But I also just love father and the son having questioning. It's like, what's happening? Something that that young person and all the people there are like are, were able to open their minds to something that they wouldn't maybe have gotten if they hadn't seen performance. It's amazing. And if you're looking for, want to see a little bits and pieces of the protest, it's on your at political movement Instagram on like the highlights because it's yes. on podcast. It's hard to describe, but it was, <laughs> it was really beautiful. And so I would encourage everyone listening to go and check that out. Amazing. Yeah. There's also an article that was written in the dance current about it as well. Oh, really? Because my next question is in the article. <laughs> This is actually what I'm going to ask you. <laughs> so you are featured in the dance current and you said, I quote, because I just loved it, that you believe that artists should not be scared of making this kind of work. And you're quoted as saying, I think if we make work that reflects the world we live in and is asking questions and diving into hard conversations, we're contributing to the world we want to be a part of. And again, I think this comes really makes me feel that like art and dance and performance and expression, it's an essential part of the fabric of our lives and it's central part of creating change. And maybe people don't always think that immediately. And so I was curious, yeah. what are the barriers to creating like work that gets to the root of social issues and may make people comfortable? I'm wondering like, what are the things that you feel like kind of stand in the way of doing this really important work? I think resources. Mm -hmm. I think that political art can be looked at as less than because we're like truly reflecting the time that there is an element of like high art, the sense that we have to exist in this like abstract 
abstract, like meaningless place to have accolades inside of an artistic community. I don't know what I'm saying. I think resources get in the way, but also this attitude that political art is less than other kinds of art. And for me, I don't care. (laughs) I I want work about what I make work about. And for me, it really is about the people that I bring together and the collaboration component of it. But definitely applying for grants and having it be a peer committee that evaluates the grants and money. Yeah, no. (laughs) Yes, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like resources and funding is such a huge barrier for so many things to get created. I also just love that you're like, I don't care. I'm going to make it. (laughs) So anyone listening that wants to contribute, (laughs) send us us abundance. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. And also it's interesting because those big ticket, maybe like a corporate cookie cutter type of art that's like the money makers, but it's like the things that really create that change is, you know, something a little bit more grassroots in a way. Also from the dancecurrent.com, the same, <laughs> if it was the same article or another one that was more around Black Lives Matter and sort of anti-racism. Yeah, I wrote an article that was called A Calling In. Yes. Okay. It might have been from that one. Perfect. Glad you know. Because <laughs> I pulled this quote because I loved it and was like, okay, where did I get it from? But it said, it's kind of a call to action to, well, I'll just read it. It's time for you, white people, companies, institutions, and organizations to do that work. Look inward and ask yourself these hard questions. Talk to your colleagues, your board members, and your collaborators. And so that's a call to the dance industry and the art industry, or just everyone at large to be looking at their own, you know, race, racial biases. And I'm thinking specifically from like your perspective as a dancer and artist, what do you think that that should actually look like? And what actions can people take to be anti-racist? Because I think that's like, I see a lot of things out there being like, do the work, but like, what, what can people really do? I mean, that is a huge question. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. I, I'm not expecting any of us to have any. It's important. It's really important to. Yeah. To I mean, I think about it. when inside of institutions mm-hmm. that are predominantly white run, yeah. what makes me feel uncomfortable. And it's usually when I feel like their interest in me is only to check their boxes inside of tokenism or where I feel like I'm the only person of color walking in and being looked at as a commodity. So I think that it's both like, how do we reassess our values? And then how do we change our relationships? Like on your staff, are there people of color in positions of power? Are you willing to give up your job in order to have somebody take that job on? Are you really getting to know my practice in a way that allows me to thrive? Or are you really just looking to have me come in, present something and you get to put your name on it? Like, I really do think that it comes down to investment and like, are we willing, are, are these institutions and organizations willing to have longevity in how they are in relationship to artists of color? And I think that that's where like (laughs) anti-racism comes into play, where it's not just like a band-aid reaction to this moment, but Mm -hmm. that it's an investment in understanding in decolonizing, but through the interpersonal and through the like actually stepping down and giving space 
Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how I would answer that today. No, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, like making changes that are sustainable and not just like a reactionary yeah. and continuing to amplify voices of the BIPOC folks in the industry. I think I also read in this, well, I did read it in your article and I don't know if it was it exactly like this, but that oftentimes in the, you know, the dance world that are companies that are white dominated, they benefit from art forms that are rooted in black and indigenous culture. And then they profit on it, but not exactly. necessarily. Yeah. I think you spoke to it, but if there was anything that you think like needs to change. Or what anything? needs to change? Yeah. I think everything needs to change. I think that we need to work in new systems. Like I really think that structures that exist inside of how arts organizations run hierarchically, I really do think that huge fundamental shifts yeah. need to change. Like I think about the linear hierarchy and how we can create circles or how we can topple it over so that it becomes a horizontal plane. Yeah, this idea that like one person holds all the power doesn't exist anymore. There's like multiple people holding multiple roles and responsibilities like filter out and that the balance of resources and power gets shifted to more people evenly as opposed to like one person with 80% of the power and everyone else gets 20%. But that's big work. Yeah. And also a little bit vague. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, something that sounds very ideal, kind of like having a level playing field, but in some ways it's just, it's hard to accomplish given the structures that we exist in. Now that makes me think just hearing you, which is, wasn't a question I was going to ask you. (laughs) It's more just thinking like hearing you say that it's like, makes me think like you really need to continue to be in leadership positions and creating spaces that allow for BIPOC dancers and creators to, to create really. And so I'm wondering like, what do you see as like a, a vision for your work in the future? Yeah. It's interesting because I always want to be making, I always want to be creative, but I also think about how, if I'm creating resources to make that happen for me, how simultaneously can I also be giving those same resources and platforms to other BIPOC artists? So inside of that, the idea of having a place where my work exists and can be created that becomes a hub, that becomes like a community space that I also invite other companies or other artists in who come from like a BIPOC decolonial authentic place of like compassion and care. Like how do I create a hub for that community to have the resources that I know I want for myself, but I don't want to just have for myself that I also want to be able to give to others like that. That is the dream. That is the future dream. I see it. (laughs) I hope (laughs) I'm coming to the present time close to our conversation, but just kind of honing in on like, you know, how have you been getting your art out there during this pandemic? I was really resistant to live streams. (laughs) I think I still am really resistant to live streams. And I think I've been taking this time to dream a little bit, Mm -hmm. to reflect on the work that I've made, to pause, to look at the bones of what I do and how I work and where I'm going, that COVID has been a chance to really just like question how I work. Like I don't need to work as much as I did before. I don't need to work as fast as I did before. And I'm sort of building values that I want to instill into the future. I've definitely done projects that have existed in an 
online capacity. And I have performed in live streams and I have made video things that exist on the internet. But where my heart has been during this time is really reflecting on like, what skills don't I have? How do I build those skills? How do I talk about the way that I cultivate space? And is there anything about that that I want to shift and change when I do come back to working in person again? I've heard that as well in different ways that like this time is an opportunity for us and to really connect with what is our purpose? Like, what are we doing? How can we change? How can we shift? And perhaps taking this like pause to resource and to really connect with what our next step is. Because I am, I believe we will have in-person events again. Yeah, we will. We have to. I know. (laughs) Especially with dance. Like it's just Uh not the same through a screen. Like I want to feel somebody's energy. I want to be able to hear their breath. I think about like the moments that are going to happen where we're going to be inside of live performances again for the first time. And like, I think I'm just going to cry. Like I was just going (laughs) to say that I feel like I already feel myself like getting emotional because it's something that we need. And I just think, yeah, like live performances and dancing, it's something that's like like connected communities, people, tribes for our human existence. So for that to be taken away, it's so tragic, but putting it out there and thinking of the future is exciting because I know that we, it's just so magical. It makes me emotional thinking about it. Like, yeah, it's interesting. I'm such a like future oriented person. Mm -hmm. I'm somebody that's always thinking ahead. I like to be like two plans ahead of myself and that's changed during COVID. Like I haven't been able to dream forward because I don't know what the forward looks like that I'm dreaming towards. And that's, it's been like off setting, Mm -hmm. like off putting, but also like a really interesting sort of reality check for me that like, how do we stay present in our work, in our values and our ethics? Well, I mean, still thinking about the future, but I'm just curious. (laughs) Yeah. Are there like projects, ideas or things that are blossoming for you that you could share with us? Yeah. I mean, I'm always dreaming about future dance projects. I always have like ideas of what I want to make work about in the back of my mind. But something that's been really interesting that has come out of reflecting on the work that I've made and really connecting this idea of intimacy and how I love to show intimacy in my work and cultivate intimacy and also find like safe consensual ways to build intimacy between collaborators that I've started to follow a thread into this idea of intimacy coaching or intimacy directing and wondering how that intertwines into my artistic practice, but then also can exist outside of that. And I'm just at the beginning of understanding that. I'm, I just got asked to do submission for the Rhubarb Festival with Buddies where they're doing a publication. And I was like, ooh, like how interesting would it be to write out exercises for two people to do that like build consent, but is like a choreographic score. And this idea of like, how do you use words and language and like poetic language to bring two people together to make a choreography, but that is centered around building consent between them. So that's just like one of the little seeds. But I also think that it's going to affect the work that I'm making in the future. I have this project that I'm calling The Ladder Project, and it's all about queer love. And it uses a ladder 
her as the metaphor of like two people trying to get to the top at the same time and like all of the steps that we make and like when we're not on the same level when like our foot breaks through a step and we can't get to the next one or when like one person is on one ladder and one person is on the other ladder and they both want to be on the same ladder but they're two separate ladders all the metaphors but how inside of like asking people to bring their own stories of love that that again is going to require a certain kind of intimacy coaching or directing inside of that work so it's like a big dream that's intertwining into all of the things mm. that I want to do and that's exciting and me up COVID, <laughs> like yeah. everyone post COVID is going to need to figure out how to be intimate with each other again yes. so it's also a life skill <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more Lily was like you can see me I'm like hands up like please sign me up <laughs> as you were saying that I'm like yeah it was something to look out for in the future is there anything yeah. else that people can look out for or how can they interact with you and your work I love a good Instagram DM (laughs) (laughs) I have a website called politicalmovement.ca like yeah I think we'll we'll put it in the show notes yeah perfect the right one (laughs) (laughs) I have projects that have been on hold because of Mm COVID-19 and they will happen eventually but but yeah there's always things always things happening so you can follow my blog you can talk to me on Instagram beautiful yeah. I'm yeah. um, wondering if there's any other things that you would like to say before I ask you my final question. I don't know. I think that it's so easy to feel like what we do won't make a difference or that like our insignificant lives and the grand scheme or size of the universe will never cultivate change. And I think I just like my biggest message through my work is that we can change the world through our own individual actions and to never fall into fear that stops us from taking action. And I just want to like encourage people to follow their heart. Like I didn't know that, I don't know, the dreams that I had for myself could be possible. And I feel like I'm living them and I'm creating new dreams as I keep living. And that really feeds me and fuels me and inspires me. And I don't know, this world needs more inspiration. So follow your heart, follow your dreams, make change. No, beautiful. And well, you are definitely an inspiration, an inspiration to me too. I am wondering, you just mentioned like talking, like kind of your 20 year old self. My question I ask everybody is what would you say to your younger self now? I think I would just tell my younger self that it's okay to feel confused. It's okay to feel you don't belong. It's okay to feel misinterpreted or unseen that you'll find your way into yourself. And like all of the fears that you had around not being enough will disintegrate through your pursuit to find what you need to feel like you are enough. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like my younger self needed to hear that too. Thank you. Aria, you are so awesome. I feel smarter. I I feel so much smarter every time I listen to you. 
the work that you make, it's essential, it's needed, it's necessary, it's powerful, it, it's, you know, changing the world and never stop. And, you know, I'm just grateful like that all we, the validation that yeah. I need in like one sentence. <laughs> you matter, yeah. you're important, it's vital. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> shower me with that. <laughs> What's that soap? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. bottle it up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but thank you. Thank you for being here and yeah. thank you for being you and keep on shining and hope you can come back again. Yeah, I love that. I will say Walalin, which is thank you in Mi'kmaq. And I will say Salamat, which is <laughs> thank you in Tagalog. And Miigwech, which is thank you in the language of the ancestors who have cared for the land that I'm on right now, which is Takaranto. Thank you yeah. so much, Aria. Until next time. Until next time.